Good evening. Welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church and to this Monday, Thursday worship service. We gather on this Thursday evening because it was on Thursday night when Jesus sat at table with his disciples and the Passover feast meal became a meal of radical love and generosity and grace in a new way, forever defined for us and for the whole world. And so we gather on this Monday, Thursday to break bread just as they did that night thousands of years ago. If this is your first uh, Monday, Thursday service, we welcome you to this experience. You will notice uh, throughout our liturgy tonight and even our sermon, you will hear the theme of love and grace and being fed. So be attentive to that. You should also know that Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday are services that are joined together. And so we'll gather back here tomorrow evening at 7.30 for our Ten and Bray service, but we have also added a new service this year that is more family-friendly. It will uh, take place at 4 o'clock over in Founders Hall. And so if you have children or grandchildren for to whom uh, Ten and Bray is not the right setting, please make note of our new service at 4. But it is our sincere hope that we will walk together from this night into tomorrow night. So let us, even at this hour, attune our entire beings to glorify God in every way. Our service begins this night with our opening hymn, so I invite you to stand as we sing together. the call to worship found printed in your bulletin. Jesus, we long to be near you. Lead us to Jesus, we long to remember you. Lead us to the table that we might share with 
Jesus, we long to love you. Lead us to God that we might pray for you. Jesus, we long to follow you. Lead us into darkness that we might accompany you on this journey toward the cross. Jesus, we long to be people will recognize us as followers of Jesus. They will know we are Christians by our love, by how we treat one another. So using the responsive prayer of confession, let us confess the ways in which we have fallen short in loving others as Christ loves us. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you should love one another as I have loved you. We confess that our actions, our words, and our thoughts have not shown love. We confess that we have withheld love, mercy, and forgiveness. We have chosen to hold grudges, to make judgments, to move through the world cautiously. Jesus humbly washed the disciples' feet. Jesus prepared a table of grace. Humble us, God. Extend grace to us, God. Help us to follow in your path of foolish humility 
and abundant grace, that we might extend love, mercy, and forgiveness to a world that so desperately needs hope. Amen. Jesus, the washer of feet, extends grace to us every moment of our lives. Our brokenness does not define us because God's love will always make us whole. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, move among us that we may hear God's word. And hearing it, we might respond with boldness, with humility, with love. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Family of faith, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So listen now to our scripture reading for this evening. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 and 31 through 35. Listen now. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began washing his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will only be here a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all have those goodbye sayings, don't we? As a teenager, you may have heard your parents yell after you as you left the house, make good choices, or dinners at seven. Or maybe your family used the phrase, remember who you are and whose you are when people left the house. If you're one of the teenagers leaving the youth house, you'll likely hear me yell after you, love you mean it, which is true because I do love them and I mean it. However, when I was growing up, my dad's parting phrase was what we call the four things. When I was 13, my dad took me on a surprise trip for my birthday, just the two of us. We packed our bags, loaded up his silver Buick, and drove from Kansas City, Kansas to Branson, Missouri. Now Branson, yeah, I heard that. Branson. is self-advertised as being an off-Broadway town full of shows and musicals. And at one point, I'm sure that was a fair description. (laughs) At one point in history, Branson was supposedly known for its main street, which is full of theaters hosting country music stars. However, now, main street is still there, but the stars have left, and what remains is very far off-Broadway. If my memory serves me correctly, I'm pretty sure my dad and I saw an entire musical performed on roller skates. It was a mix between Sonic and Rodgers and Hammerstein's, which pretty much summarizes our entire experience to a T. We laughed until we cried. We played a terrible game of putt-putt. We drank milkshakes. We saw several unique off-Broadway shows together. It was a wonderful birthday trip. However, the thing I remember about that trip the most was the drive back. As we piled back into the silver Buick to drive home to Kansas City, my dad said to me, Sarah, you are 13 now, which means you are no longer a little girl. So as we say goodbye to that season of life and look forward to the next, where you are growing into an adult before my very eyes, there are a few things I want you to remember. A few things I need you to remember. Four things, to be exact. My dad then proceeded to share four nuggets of wisdom with me, which he made me repeat to him over and over on the drive home until I had them down perfectly. Those four things are, number one, you are responsible for yourself. Number two, every decision has a consequence, good or bad. Number three, to remember that I'm baptized, which means I am known, loved, and claimed by God. 
And number four, to remember that my parents love me no matter what. From that moment on, any time I left the house, my dad would hold up the number four. When I got my driver's license and cranked up the radio and pulled out of the driveway, my dad stood there at the front door, took a breath, probably said a silent prayer, and held up the number four. When I left for college, my dad looked at me and held up the number four. When I graduated seminary, my dad was in the pews with the number four. And even now, when he sends me a card or an email that always ends with PS4 things. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget that I love you. Don't forget the four things. We all have those parting phrases, don't we? Remember who you are and whose you are. Make good choices. Love you mean it. Remember the four things. Because here's the thing about saying goodbye. When we are saying goodbye, we tend to leave one another with words that we don't want the other to forget. Last minute I love yous and identity reminders. It's in our nature. And I think that's part of what makes this scripture passage for today so powerful. Our text for today comes from the 13th chapter of John, which is the beginning of the end for Jesus. The chapter opens with the words, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world, which is to say that chapters 13 through 16, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, could be read as Jesus saying goodbye. My dad has four things for every goodbye. Jesus has roughly three chapters saying. Jesus knew that his time had come to an end, and he was saying goodbye. On that final night, the disciples were eating together to celebrate the coming Passover. Interestingly enough, John does not focus on that meal like the other gospel writers, but instead focuses on what happens next. While at dinner, Jesus stood up from the dinner table, poured water into a basin, and began washing the disciples' feet. As you can probably imagine, in Israel at that time, it was not socially acceptable for peers to wash one another's feet. That was a job reserved for servants or slaves. It was a dirty task, not something the disciples could have imagined their lord or teacher doing. This social rule was so strictly enforced that even if you were a guest at someone's house, the hospitable thing for them to do would be to provide you with clean water and a towel so that you could wash your own feet. The host, your peer, would never do the washing for you. That would have been viewed as demeaning. Knowing that, we should not be surprised that Peter objects, saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Don't wash my feet. You can hear the shock in that question. The disbelief and discomfort. Are you going to wash my feet? Could you really love me that much? Could I really be worthy of that type of love? I should be washing your feet. That's a job for servants, not teachers. Right? In true Jesus fashion, Jesus turned an act that once was an act of hierarchical power and control into an act of generosity and love. 
Jesus responds by not only washing Peter's feet, who was the one who was going to deny him, but he also washed Judas's feet, the one who betrayed him. He washed Thomas's feet, the one who would doubt him. And he washed the rest of the feet of those who would hide in fear in the upper room after he had been crucified. It's radical and a surprising act that only happens here. Jesus took something that once was a sign of power and turned it into an act of undeserving, freely given love. It was a gift, not based on merit or faith or who deserved it, not based on being the right type of Christian or the best type of disciple. It was love freely given. And when we know we don't deserve that type of love or grace, it's easy to raise questions like Peter. And it makes the love that much more powerful. I met a man last summer who put me in touch with this emotion. Our senior high youth drove to Hazard, Kentucky, a rural mountain community in Appalachia, to volunteer and serve with the Appalachian Service Project for a week. We stayed in a school in the rural depths of the Kentucky Holler, as they call it, which I learned is just another word for very rural neighborhood. We were divided up into teams of five, and each team was assigned a family that they would work with for the entirety of that week. We all had manual labor jobs designed to improve the quality of the family's home, either making them warmer, safer, or drier. So we did things like dig a trench around a trailer at the bottom of a hill so that the trailer wouldn't flood every time it rained. We replaced flooring that was eroding with termite damage, and we built an underpinning around a trailer to keep the house warm in the winter, etc., etc. My group was assigned to an older couple, John and Brenda, at the top of the hill. Their home, a patchwork trailer hanging by a thread, was like all the houses on the hill. It was without clean water or AC. So the family drank soda because soda was cheaper than bottled water. It was what they could afford. The house had holes everywhere, holes in the wall, holes in the roof. It was dirty, dark, and miserably hot in the summer. But we showed up on day one, nervous, aware of our own privilege, aware that we were coming into another person's home to do a job that none of us were trained in. The work was slow at first. We were anxious that we'd inconvenience our hosts, but we were eager to make a difference. But by the end of the week, by the grace of God, we belonged to one another. I watched our youth sit on the porch with John and Brenda to take work breaks and watch the rain together. All the youth in my group would greet that couple with hugs every morning. And when the family asked if we could close out the week with a family picture of all of us together, we happily agreed and then mailed them a hard copy. When we finally left on a Friday, both John and Brenda cried, hugging us and asking that we would write letters in our absence. It was a beautiful, transformative week. But the moment that I'll never forget came in the middle of the afternoon on Thursday. We were hustling to get the work of the reflooring done before the end of the day. 
I was on my hands and knees covered in dirt, desperately trying to pull up rotten flooring to replace it with new clean flooring. I was drenched in sweat and dust, debris from the construction, dirt let in from the holes in the wall, all of it making my glasses foggy and coated in grime. Two or three times I rocked back on my knees, took my glasses off, and desperately tried to clean them on my shirt. However, as you can probably guess, my shirt was dirty from the labor, so I was only making matters worse, smearing together my sweat, the humidity, and the dirt from the day. John spent his days with us as we did construction. He would jump in and help where and when he could, whenever his body allowed, and would watch with warm appreciation when the job was too much for him. He must have seen me struggling with my glasses and my gloves because he came over and asked if he could wash my glasses for me. Surprised, I slipped my hands out of my work gloves and handed him my filthy prescription lenses. I watched John walk back to his bedroom and use one of the clean water bottles that they had, one of the few in the house, to wash my glasses. He found a clean towel hidden in a drawer, wiped them dry, and held them up to the light several times, only returning them once they were in perfect condition. I vividly remember taking back my glasses and thinking to myself, I do not deserve this kindness. I have brought five beautiful teenagers into your home every day this week, and we are loud, and we are crowding your space, and frankly, I have no idea what I'm doing here. You all have been nothing but gracious and kind, but you deserve so much better. A trained professional and a team of construction workers, instead you're stuck with me. For reference, once in seminary I tried to hang a paper towel holder on the wall. It fell out of the wall. Paper towels weigh nothing. I was so underqualified and so desperately wanted to do a good job. And here he was showing me care. Here he was washing my dirty, grimy, sweat-covered glasses, and all I could think of was, I don't deserve this. I felt like Peter. In that moment, I could imagine how he felt when Jesus knelt down and cleaned his feet. In that moment, I knew what undeserved love looked like, and it was holy, and it changed me. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and then he looked them in the eye and said, My children, I will be with you for only a little longer. You may look for me, but when I am going, you cannot come. So hear this, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Wash each other's feet. Tend each other's wounds. Care for each other's broken hearts. Listen to each other's concerns. Love one another. Wash each other's feet. These are Jesus' parting words. It's the beginning of the end, and as he anticipates their time running out, he is saying goodbye. He shows them undeserved love and turns around and says, Now you do the same. It's the type of love that transforms you and that overlooks power or hierarchy for the sake of generosity and sincerity. It's forgiveness when it's hard. It's empathy when we're scared. It's choosing to see similarities amidst differences. It's my parents saying, number four, remember that we will love you always, no matter what.
It's John cleaning my grimy glasses while I make a mess of his floor. It's you all when you bring your different faith and political opinions and still choose to sit side by side together in these pews because that's what it means to be the body of Christ. Love freely given is not what this world is used to. I think that's part of why Jesus was crucified. His love was too big for people to understand. But what I know is that when people know that they are saying goodbye, they tend to say something they don't want others to forget. So church, may we hear this tonight. Jesus said, wash each other's feet. Jesus said, love as I have loved. He had to know that this radical type of love that he was asking would be what got him killed. But I also think he knew that at the end of the day, it's the only thing that can save this world. So friends, may you trust that you are loved, so deeply loved, and may you love others the same. Peter asked, are you going to wash my feet? Of course. May we love in the same way. May we live in the same way. Pray with me. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
there in a guest room upstairs at the house of a generous stranger, they sat around a table with him. The disciples had prepared the Passover meal, and Jesus was there with them. He joined them to eat. It was Jesus' last supper with them. It was his last moment of peace. None of them knew what was to come, neither the suffering nor the glory. What was known and what was felt was love, wondrous love. Friends, we come to this table to remember love, wondrous love, to dwell in the wondrous love of Jesus. For Christ invites us to this table to come to be here. So come all of you who long to be in the presence of love. Come all who are weary on this journey. Come all of you who are hungry for hope. This is the feast which our Lord has prepared. So come. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give you thanks, God, that it was out of wondrous love that you first created. Out of love you made the heavens and the earth, the light and the darkness. Out of love you carefully molded each creature and breathed into the dust to create humankind. Our lives and this good creation are the result of your love. In wondrous love, you formed relationships with people in every time. Acting in love, you made covenants with our ancestors in faith. Acting in love, you called forth prophets to speak difficult truths. And finally, acting in love, you took on flesh and walked among us. Your wondrous love was shown forth in Jesus Christ's birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. As love embodied, Jesus modeled love of neighbor, healing the sick, feeding the poor, and comforting the downtrodden. As love embodied, Jesus challenged power and privilege and uplifted the marginalized. As love embodied, Jesus forgave even the one who betrayed him. As love embodied, Jesus prepared this meal, this bread, and this cup so that we might be filled and transformed by his love. We remember and give thanks for this wondrous love. Love that lifts us up when we are sinking down. Love that caused Jesus to carry our burdens all the way to the cross. Love that wills us to sing. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this table, that we might once more be transformed by your wondrous love, and that we might continue to walk with Jesus toward his passion and death. Joining the millions who sing, let us raise our voices in the prayer that Jesus taught, taught that very night, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night of his arrest, Jesus was at table with his disciples. And he took the bread, and after giving thanks to God for it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do so in remembrance of me. For every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim God's saving death until he comes again. And he is coming. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
Friends, please join in the prayer that you find printed in your bulletin. Loving God, we thank you that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal kingdom. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to praise and glory. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus said goodbye to the ones he loved. And so we gather together to remember that. And we will gather here tomorrow night to remember when Jesus took his last breath. And then we will gather here on Sunday morning to celebrate that love does conquer and death did not have the last word. So we invite you to go in peace and to come back soon.